The Australian and New Zealand dollars are both near multi-month lows this morning after a sell-off on global stock markets. That's because Fitch downgraded the United States' credit rating from AAA. That's coming up in our five things in less than five minutes. And then in our deep dive in under five minutes, we hear from ANZ's chief economist for Greater China, Raymond Jung, on how consumers there have built up cash buffers worth three years' worth of retail sales. If China is able to unlock its consumption power, that would be massive. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ, number one, the Australian dollar slumped under 66 US cents last night and is hovering near a three-month low. That's just over 65 US cents. The New Zealand dollar was also hammered. It fell decisively through 61 US cents and is currently around 60.7 US cents. That's all because global stock markets were unnerved by that Fitch downgrade for the United States. Here's ANZ's head of FX research, Marjabine Zaman. Overall, high beta FX, whether it's the Aussie dollar or the Kiwi dollar, uh, is underperforming uh, on the back of, I would say, softer equity markets, risk off sentiment. I guess for the Aussie dollar particularly, I mean, it's really compounded by the fact that the RBA held its policy rate at 4.1% and the expectation that the RBA is now in an extended pause, which really does not support rate differentials in favour of the Aussie. Of course, we have Chinese uh, China's outlook as well that sort of weighs on both these currencies. Number two, the S&P 500 is down 1.2% and the NASDAQ down around 2% on that news from Fitch. Only Moody's now rates America's debt at that top AAA rating. Standard & Poor's downgraded the US back in 2011. It means now there's only nine countries that have the highest AAA rating. Now, that includes Singapore and Australia in the Asia-Pacific, and the rest are in Europe, and that includes the likes of Germany, Norway, and Switzerland. But it was notable the actual bond markets, which trade the things that are being rated, They weren't too worried. They had expected this. They were more focused on news. The US government is increasing its borrowing by $7 billion a week to $103 billion a week. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield, it rose as much as 12 basis points overnight to 4.12%. That's the highest it's been since November last year. Just before 6 a.m. Australian Eastern Time, it's at 4.08%. Number three, another reason those bond yields rose overnight was stronger than expected ADP private payrolls data. They rose 324,000 in July. The consensus was 189,000. That's a key figure ahead of Friday night's non-farm payrolls. ANZ's expecting growth of around about 200,000 in July. That's a key indicator for the Fed. Currently, markets see a pause next month by the Fed. A much stronger number on Friday night could change that. Here's Marjabin. If this comes above expectations, obviously that means that the Fed has to do more work. Number four, we also got jobs data from New Zealand yesterday. Here's ANZ's economist in New Zealand, Henry Russell. What was certainly positive about today's numbers is that it did show that capacity constraints are easing. Things like obviously the unemployment rate ticked up, so too did underutilisation, underemployment. These are all things that the Reserve Bank needs to see. And also positively, wage growth was a little bit weaker than they had expected. So that, that certainly is positive for the inflation outlook. But we see the real acid test coming in Q3. The Reserve Bank from here expects unemployment to rise very quickly. When we look in today's numbers, 
it wasn't clear that that is to be the case. We're still picturing a relatively more resilient labour market across the second half of the year. Number five, oil prices have surged this week to three-month highs. That's because Saudi Arabia and Russia are finally making the supply cuts they promised. Here's ANZ senior commodity strategist Daniel Hines. We're now in a point now where supply um, is clearly starting to fall. And I think that's what the market was really looking for, visible signs of this occurring. And that should should bring a lot uh, a lot more positive uh, sentiment outside of obviously the impact it will have on the underlying market in, in itself. And, and we have seen that play out in terms of inventories. It's only today that we saw a very large drawdown in US oil stockpiles. Daniel Hines there. Now it's time for our deep dive, five minutes on one fascinating topic. This time, it's the very weak consumer spending in China. Here's ANZ's chief economist for Greater China, Raymond Yung, speaking with us from Hong Kong. The Chinese government has been trying to improve the productivity uh, per workers so that the future, even with a slower growth of population, doesn't mean that the value added per person uh, will be lower. And in fact, Chinese rather increase the productivity and the value added per person. So if that's the case, that could... Uh, fits nicely uh, with the consumption story uh, so that uh, in the future everyone can earn more and the wage growth will be higher so that they can support a larger proportion of consumption and Chinese, the Chinese economy will be more stable and based on domestic demand to drive growth rather than uh, following the uh, global business cycle as in the past when China was still a very export-oriented economy. So I think this is the uh, overall plan of Beijing. At the same time, this is easier said than done. Uh, it takes time uh, for the industrial upgrading. We do see some sign, uh, some positive sign, this type of industrial upgrading. For example, electric vehicle now, EV markets in China is booming. And also China is a major exporter of electric vehicle too. Uh, very similar to what we observed in 1990s or year 2000 when Japanese was leading in terms of automobile industry. And now hopefully China can follow to the similar footstep or maybe West Germany at the time and become a world automobile major player in, in the world market. And in that transition from moving towards productivity-driven expansion rather than adding workforce expansion, one of the key things is shifting um, the amount of uh, consumption that those new higher-wage workers get. What's it going to take for Chinese consumers to stop saving so much cash and going out and spending it? This is a very, very good uh, question, uh, Bernard, and very good observation too. You mentioned about precautionary saving in China. And look, uh, there's now 131 trillion RMB uh, household deposit sitting on the banking system, and uh, that can fund more than three years of monthly retail sales. <laughs> so this is a massive amount of uh, household deposit sitting over there. And if China is able to unlock this consumption power, that would be massive. Now, the question is uh, why the uh, household are not eager to spend money. Uh, it's not because they don't have the resources, but because of the lack of uh, confidence. Wage growth is a, a, a big problem. Uh, unemployment is another because um, now they know that the near-term economic outlook is not as optimistic as before, so that they become more cautious in spending. Plus the fact that they uh, know that much of the wealth that they have accumulated in the past is on property. 
But now the Chinese property market is undergoing a downturn, so that's also resulted in this high risk aversion in terms of how they see the future and they don't want to spend that much at the moment. So I think that uh, those measures or the policy direction that we've met, we just mentioned about the industrial upgrade and try to boost the consumption, try to lift wage growth and try to increase the productivity so that they can earn more in the future. So these are all uh, moving towards the right direction. But in the near term, I think the key is still to help households regain confidence, especially to boost the property market again so that uh, they know that much of the wealth that they have accumulated in the past is still there and the uh, housing cycle can pick up again. Raymond Yoon there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Thursday, August the 3rd. Catch you tomorrow where we'll look ahead to those non-farm payrolls. This podcast was recorded for publication on behalf of ANZ. All associated disclosures and disclaimers can be viewed using the link in your media player or the ANZ website through which you access this podcast. All care has been taken to report the views of ANZ Research in the creation of this podcast, but as an independent host, any differing interpretations are strictly mine and not ANZ's. Feel free to contact your ANZ point of contact with any questions.